Welcome back to Match Volume, USC Annenberg's premier interview-based podcast produced by student journalists. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your co-host, Jeffrey. So, Natalie, were you at the LA Times Festival of Books? I was. I walked around for hours. I bought so many books, an insane amount of books, um, that I'm going to put on my shelf and probably not read for a year and then circle back to. But I love it. I love it all. Me too. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things I really loved seeing at that festival was that there were some, you know, former guests on our podcast, Match Volume, including, uh, you know, the writers of Red Boat Fish Sauce Cookbook, which was very exciting to see. But um, this week, I think we're talking about a little bit different kind of a cookbook. We are. It's definitely a different kind of cookbook, but interesting nonetheless. This week, Ryan Coleman had a conversation with Judy Moeller and Sherry Matthews, the co author of the book Redheaded Cook of the Desert Meth, Murder, and Motherhood. Judy Muller is an American journalist who earned an Emmy Award for coverage of the O.J. Simpson case. When she first met Sherry Matthews, a woman serving lifetime parole for murder, the story just began. The book takes readers on a journey into Sherry's complicated life, from her ill-fated attempts at marriage and motherhood, to her love affair with meth, to the murder that landed her in prison. Here's Here's Judy Judy Muller and and Sherry Matthews. Welcome back to Match Volume. I'm here with Judy Muller and Sherry Matthews, who co-authored the book The Red-Headed Cook of the Desert, Meth, Murder, and Motherhood together. Judy Muller needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. It's going to be long, so buckle <laughs> in. Muller is a correspondent for ABC and CBS News, a commentator for NPR, and an anchor at both KHOWAM in Denver and WHWH in Princeton. She's covered presidential campaigns, the Columbine shooting, the Rodney King trial, and subsequent riots in 1992, for which she won an Emmy, one of her five Emmys. A Peabody, she has two DuPont Awards. She was also a professor here at Annenberg for... 15 years. Yeah. And Sherry Matthews, I'm going to go lighter on your introduction because we're going to talk about your life a lot, so I don't want to spoil anything. Um, But I did read in your guys book that you were again correct me if i'm wrong you when you were in the army you earned decorations for your skill as a marksman your expert with a hand grenade and as a sharpshooter with a 38 caliber pistol yes okay <laughs> okay no, no yeah no big deal okay so uh thank you both for being here today thank you thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for having us yeah um, Judy, I'm going to start with you. So I understand that you moved to Colorado after right. you retired. Right. Um, I wanted to start with retirement because this doesn't feel very <laughs> retirement to me where you, you're on a book tour. Oh, you're, I know. You're, you know. People said, can't you just stop? But when I find a good story and my brother tipped me off, he said, you got to meet the waitress down at the the local restaurant because she's something else and she says she's on lifetime parole for murder. And I said, I've never heard of that. So I introduced myself. We got to talking. And I said, you know, I don't know where to start, but you might be a story. So I had my pen and my notebook out. I said, so why don't we just start with the obvious? Tell me about the murder. And she said, which one? And I was hooked. And that started a year and a half of us uh, collaborating on her story. She is a wonderful writer herself, and she it was like a treasure trove. She had written an autobiography in prison, 32 pages, single-spaced, of her life. So what a gift. And then all these friends who were willing to help from old former friends in prison, her family, everybody contributed. It was, a, it was amazing, and I just got hooked. It was hard at times, especially for Sherry, to dive back into all of this. Um, and it was hard for me because I, I had to figure out how to tell this. So I did a kind of quilt, quilted version of our dialogue, 
her story, her writings, letters from friends. It was a kind of, you had to put it together so it had a narrative flow, but it was clear that this was operating on different levels. Right. And so, Sherry, take us back to that time when you met Judy. You're a, a Southern California girl, I understand. Mm-hmm. So yes, how did I, you end up in Colorado? Uh, when I was released from prison, I went to a halfway house for six months. I had That was a requirement for a lifer to get out of prison. And put in for my transfer to Colorado, my children and my grandchildren all lived, moved there while I was in prison. So that's how I ended up in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, working at the Lone Cone Waitressing and used to sit with the old guys in the morning having coffee. The and, old guys. Uh, yeah, the old guys. The old my guys, brother. The old coffee mate. guys. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, we'd all have coffee together. We all bullshit. And uh Swap stories, and so I just again, then we can we can move on from retirement. I just think, did you really plan to not do anything, or did you kind of always know in the back of your oh, head, now nah, I'm going to keep telling stories? I've never said retirement meant not doing anything. I mean, you know, my mate and I have a science podcast we do. I've written an op-ed for the Washington Post, and you know, a lot of different things come up, and I love storytelling. I don't know how not to. You hear a good story. I mean, how can you sit on that? You know, so I'm never going to be idle. You know, I'm just going to be free of faculty meetings. <laughs> Bless that. Yeah, right. So, so Sherry, why don't we talk about the story that you told Judy? I mean, just so everybody's kind of on the same page. I mean, when Judy asked you, you know. <laughs> if I was willing to do this. Yeah. What, where, how did you begin? I said, sure. Sure. Why yes, not? She did. I did. Not and I mean, I'm very, I have an impulsive nature, so I just kind of don't think first before I jump into things. And that's kind of like my life story is the impulsive, you know, she out said of control yes. life. I said yes to Judy automatically because the parole board had told me I should write a book. My kids had told me I should write a book. My friends had told me this through the years. And so when this came, I thought, well, this is what's supposed to happen right now. So I agreed and. In fact, we dedicated yeah, we the book to the a... parole board member who said, have you, have you heard about Breaking Bad? You should write a book. And she hadn't seen Breaking Bad because they don't allow that in prison. Uh, but sure enough, uh, we decided to do the book. We felt like it was meant to be. But it was harder, I think, on Sherry and, you know, it was harder for me than I had anticipated. We, we, it was a real hard slog through her past, and it's, it's hard to go back there when you've been released, you're free, you're looking forward, and somebody asks you to go back. You know, that's hard. So, Quite the journey. It was what? a long journey. It was a long yeah. journey. Yeah. And you were, total time that you were away in prison, what, how, how long was that? Total of, no, well, it, just this well, sentence? This yes. sentence was 16 years. 16 years, yeah. wow. It was a 15 to life sentence, and it had 16 years on it, made board. Could have been yeah. life. Could have been life. Wow. Easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, I mean, before you served that time, did you have any experience with the criminal justice system? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, DUIs, one prison sentence in Nevada for uh, possession. And then I'm, I scouted my parole and ended up back in the new prison in Vegas and county yeah. jails and but yeah. yeah so a little bit a yeah. little little bit Light, of an experience already yeah yeah 
and there's still an open case. Um, the, the first time she uh, killed someone, uh, which in my mind is clearly self-defense, um, that case remains open. And they sometimes would ha- you know, hold that over her head. Like, well, you know that case, and she admitted to it. She told the details. She wasn't hiding anything, but they kept it open. And I think that that's a kind of part of the justice system I, I find objectionable. Yeah. Yeah, they refuse to charge me, mm. but they won't close the case. Yeah. And do you, do either of you think that the fact that you are a woman has come to bear on any of the way that you've been treated? You know, I can't say it, it did. Mm. Um, Interesting. If anything, they were gentler on me than they could have been. I was looking at a 50 to life sentence, 225 to life, consecutive lives. So that would be 50 before I could even go to a board. And um, they offered me a deal right away, you know, for the 15 to life and dropped the gun charge. So I was very lucky and they didn't have to do that because I was guilty. They could have nailed me to a wall and they didn't. So maybe that was because I was a woman. Maybe not. I don't know. Also, Sherry throughout, and she won't say this, but throughout (laughs) my research on her, everybody to a person, including her parole officer, everybody said, we love this woman. And she, in, in prison, she was voted humanitarian of the year. I mean, and she helped a lot of women uh, who weren't as strong. And I think she saved lives, you know. Um, and I, I took them. I, she took them, but she saved them. And I, I think that's the paradox. Um, and she never tried to cop out with, oh, I'm a poor little woman, ever. Uh, she, she stood up and took responsibility for what she'd done. And she still does to this day. So I think that's one of the things that attracted me to Sherry. This wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to have to ferret out the truth. The truth was like, boom, right there. And she's a very honest person. Yeah, and, and Judy, I'm, I'm curious for you. It seems to me when you look into the, to the big stories that you've covered over the years that you seem to be attracted to stories of, or drawn to stories of violence <laughs> I mean, really, violence, you know, vic- victimization, but yeah. also survival, resilience. Yeah. Well, resilience is the word. Yeah. I am amazed by people who handed some of the worst stuff in life can overcome it and be a person I would, you know, love to be myself. And this is one of those people. I think handed the same kind of uh, circumstances. And we all are born into whatever we're born into. It's the luck of the draw. And um, her parents cared, but they were harsh. You know, it was a hard upbringing at times. And Sherry kind of self-sabotaged throughout her life. She would get an opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy and a swimming scholarship, and she managed to self-sabotage that. Uh, That was just the beginning of a lot of different ways that just almost getting the brass ring and doing something because she really, in her mind, I think she she would say this and probably will, that she there's a part of her that felt she didn't deserve it. So um, seeing somebody overcome that, because that's so deep-seated, um, I was amazed. And I th- kept asking myself the whole time I was writing this, it's almost really not journalism because I was so invested personally. I kept saying, would you have had the strength to do that in the same situation? And I had to say no. I don't think I could have done what she's done. So my admiration for people who overcome really tough times, um, you know, is unmatched. I, I, I look for those stories. 
Yes. <laughs> She's grinning. For those of you who can't see. Um, <laughs> we we grin a lot now. We laugh a lot because it's over, you yeah. know. And we got got it done and people are reacting. And and I think, you know, Sherry, don't you agree that this is we think of it as a service. We're both um, recovered alcoholics. I am too, and I share that in the book because I think it's important for people to know that uh, we have a common language here. And we really see this as service. We're going to be talking to um, rehab groups, people who are trying to get over their past, ex-cons, um, women in recovery, um, because we really believe that that's what this book is for. Yeah, yeah. You, you took the took the question right out of my mouth. I wanted to ask you, Sherry. In the book, you guys write about the fact that that you didn't know that about each other at first. That you were both right sober. Right. That's right. So when did that come out in your oh, relationship? Oh, immediately. As soon as we had lunch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a small community, and I think everybody who is struggling with addiction of any kind, we all know each other, um, and it's it's really helpful because. We'd see each other regularly in that frame. Uh, and then our our interviews were boosted by that. We had the common language, hitting bottom, things that, you you know, um, rigorous honesty. There are certain phrases that come up that are very big in recovery. And so uh, that helped a lot. That helped a lot. Yeah, and the main thread through my family history is mental illness. Mm-hmm. And addiction is usually the thing we do to cover the symptoms of something else that's deeper. And uh, mental illness wasn't recognized, you know, back in the 60s. And family secrets were kept at home. And it was a whole different type of life. And now to be able to talk about that stuff, to understand that my father had mental issues, to understand that my sister has still, and my daughter, me, my mother, my brothers, they are all... Um, mm-hmm. had tragic lives and died young and uh, and and it was all behind mental illness and addiction and so uh, I to be able to forgive not only myself but to forgive others in my life that have hurt me unknowingly uh, due to mental illness uh, was an amazing journey for me to learn because I hadn't recognized that in myself until I was sober and I'd been sober maybe 10 years when I realized I needed help. I needed something, psychiatric help. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that was an amazing discovery to understand. It wasn't just the drugs. I, was, I already had a problem. And then to understand that a lot of other people incarcerated, that's the problem. And uh, to be able to address those issues today is amazing. Like we have a mental health month, don't we now? Right. Right, you know, and I mean... Didn't happen before. Yeah, that didn't happen before. So it's a new world, and um, they're coming up with new cures, and I'm just uh, very excited to see it. In the book, there's a, a point, and she's serving uh, 15 to life, and she goes to the, the psychotherapist there in the prison, and they give her an antidepressant, and it changes her life. It changes her head. It changes her life. And the way she reacts, and, but there's a flip side of that. She goes, wait a minute. If somebody had just done this years ago, I mean, she she was kicked out of like three middle schools, right? But a straight A student. That's the kind of contradiction you see in Sherry's life. Um, 
somebody should have taken her aside and said, "What what's going on? How can we help? It would have been hard because she kept family secrets. That's what the code was that she lived by in her family. But if somebody had just said, maybe an antidepressant would calm you down. I mean, really, lives would have been saved. Hers, too. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, it was infuriating to her. At the same time, it was a relief. So that contradiction happened. Yeah. Well, it's a sadness to realize that there was help. Yeah, all the time. The whole, that I could have circumvented this entire journey of violence and yeah. murder and prison, that maybe with a right medication, that I would have went on a completely different path because I would have had my mind balanced out enough to make right decisions. I was, you know, the impulsive, compulsive, impulsive disorder, and it was impossible for me to do that. And uh, so it was sad. I was sad because I was already doing a life sentence when I realized all this. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's saddening. This but just then is. I was, you know, yeah. but, but I was also so grateful to realize, to find that I could, I could have a balance in my mind, you know, in my life. And um, yeah, it really helped with everything. I had never did meth, which I mentioned in the book. So I had to really research and, and look at its effects. And, you know, Sherry was really helpful with this because she could describe what it is that grabs people. Because we have a plague here in this country. And, um, and I get it. I see people who just cannot get off this particular drug. I think getting off alcohol might be easier. I can't say for sure it was easier for me than I think this was. Um, it is a bad drug. It is. It grabs you. It changes your brain chemistry. It took a couple of years to get that fixed. I mean, it, it's really tough. So um, I was glad that I could learn about that through her. That was a learning experience for me. Yeah, and Sherry, how, how did meth first enter your life? First time I did meth, I was in the Army. And I had gained weight. Um, yeah, and I was walking past uh, these two guys. I left a bill. I remember this. It's so weird that I remember this. This is like 1980 or maybe 79. And I'm walking out this building, and these two guys walk by, and they go, gosh, she'd be hot if she'd lose 50 pounds, you know? <gasps> I was like, <gasps> and then I was like, that's it. Well, one of the cooks in the kitchen gave me a packet, and I I lost that weight. So it was an original weight loss, speed. you know. And um, and I didn't take it for a long time after that. But uh, after I left my husband, uh, I got really, really sick with it. Uh, and I, I don't know. My life went out of control. I had failed my marriage as far as I was concerned. You know, that was one thing I didn't want to do was, you know, have my kids with split up parents like I was raised and uh, so I felt like a failure and uh, yeah I went on a party road and I never got off it so then the meth got very very heavy and then she cooked it well yeah. so unlike Walter White in Breaking Bad the fictional character he made it but he never used it and I think that combo from what I understand the people I interviewed around Cherry you are as they say the man you are the person if you're out there cooking meth, everybody wants you. They'll bring you gifts. They'll do whatever. They, and she had a very thriving business. You were selling to Hell's Angels, um, dangerous customers. Um, but, you know, making a lot of money and then using it on the drug. So it was a, a vicious kind of cycle. Yeah. And, you know, another big theme in this book that seems to come up again and again is surrender. You guys yes. use that word a lot. And I'm thinking about, you know, this conversation about 
addiction, the conversation about mental illness, a lot of that you have in order to to break through and to get clarity about those things in order to kind of conquer them, you really have to surrender to the fact that you're not in control. Right. And Sherry, you seem to me like someone who's pretty in control. You're <laughs> someone who really takes charge it's of their life. Very hard to surrender. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's, I don't, I can't believe I even did it finally, you know. It took, I, it t- she says, my bottoms have bottoms, you know. She, bottoming out took years. Um, surrender in, in recovery language the idea that sur- you have to surrender to win is so contradictory to everything we're taught. How can you surrender and get a victory? But that is the only way is to say, I need help. And it's so hard for people who are proud or people who are guarded or to say, I need help. And it's, it's sort of, it can be in the form of a prayer. It can be in the form of crying out to a friend. Whatever it is, you acknowledge to yourself that you can't do this by yourself. Uh, you're in trouble. And so surrender is the word. Um, I have a friend who was trying to get sober and she had a little white flag in her bathroom and she'd go, when she woke up in the morning, she'd wave the white flag in the mirror to remind herself, I surrender. And it was, it was a great idea. (laughs) So that's really genius. You've maybe never been this close to a subject before a subject. I mean, you guys are great friends. Yeah. So, but, you know, as a journalist, I'm sure for many years, that was something that you would never do with anybody that you were, you know, mm. writing about or even writing with. So, That's why I'm not sure it's journalism. Somebody asked me that at the reading last night. A journalist asked me that. Is this journalism? And I, and I said yes, but I, then I started thinking about it afterwards. And I said, no, it went from that to a, a memoir and a, a friendship. And a, I don't know. It was, it's a very different kind of book. Um, and of course not. I mean, you don't get friendly with people you're writing about if you're a reporter. I mean, necessarily. You, it might happen, but not if it's this kind of book. Um, and one thing I did learn, and I had some humility around this. I mean, I typed all these interviews verbatim. I didn't tape them. I probably should have. But I, I type I verbatim. I have good notes. I keep my notes just in case anybody has a problem. But I forget that people who aren't used to being interviewed don't really get that what they're saying in the moment on the phone is going to be in print in a book for all their friends and family to read. Do you mind if I go here? Because this yeah. was um, after the book was done and it came out, uh, there was a lot of pushback from her family, her daughter, her ex-husband. Uh, who it you know thought that I'd misquoted them? I had the notes. I could have you know, but it, that's not the issue, right? Not that they thought they were misquoted because they weren't. It was that they weren't the typical interview subject, and I think I had a more of a responsibility than I, I gave to helping them understand. Are you sure this is what you told me? Do you want to stand by this because I'm about to write this in a book? I think it needed extra push. And I didn't give them that. So when it came out, um, her daughter was upset. Her ex-husband was upset. We were, well, you tell what happened. We were ready to pull the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were going to pull the book. My daughter was screaming in my face. My ex-husband was screaming, screaming on face. the phone. Screaming in her face. Yeah, it was. Um, it was tough and, week. And it was uh, that I had that old feeling that I had just made a huge mistake again. 
like in my life. Like I had just made the wrong decision and what was I thinking and this is not okay. You know, all this information is out there. And I had gotten so used to doing that in prison. We had to talk about our stuff. We had to go before a parole board and tell them everything that happened. I was used to having my stuff out there because I'd been doing that in prison for years. As a counselor, I was a drug and alcohol counselor in prison. Um, so my, in my mind, you know, every, it was 40 years ago or 30 years ago. You know, I mean, right. my, my ex-husband and my relationship was 40 years ago. I didn't realize he'd never told anybody that he'd put hands on me in 40 years. And he, and I thought, well, for sure you've done, told people your wife of 30 years doesn't know. And she didn't. And um, yeah, so that was huge. He was not happy. No. So even though he told, you know, he, he talked to me and was a terrific interview. And I said, you know, you, I think you come across very well in this book. You raised those children alone when, when Sherry went to prison. And, you know, you, and you did your best. And you in... he, he's tried to stay sober. Um, in fact, well, I called him up. That was the hardest phone call I made that week when the book came out. And he was upset. And they were upset talking about pulling the book. Um, and I called him up. And here again, if you are a recovering alcoholic or addict, you have a common language. And we stayed on that plane, he and I. And it was very helpful. We ended up laughing. And he said, well, I'm not going to read this book anymore. And I'm not going to show it to people. I said, well, that's up to you. He says, and you're number one on my resentment list. I said, well, you work on that. I said, I'm going to put you on mine, and I'll work on it, and it'll be okay. And it has been okay, and we didn't have to pull the book. No. Actually, um, I think it was very freeing for my ex-husband to go through this. And he's just newly sober again, thank God. And thank God he was a month sober when all this happened because if he had yeah, I been, said, congratulations. it could have went a Keep whole other way. You know, like, but, um, yeah. Yeah, once it was out there, like his wife read it and she looked at him and she said, uh, is all this true? And he said, yes. And she said, um, 40 years ago, this was true. Yeah. Are you still that person? He says, no. And then she says, well, then what are you tripping on? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and we like to help people wherever we can. Yeah, I think that helped him let go of some shame and secrets that he didn't need to be keep holding on to, you know? So um, whether that's the thing about like this kind of thing. I'm very exposed, uh, but I believe in that exposing of mm -hmm. secrets, it helps other people work through their stuff, right? So that's the magic of it. Like it might be uncomfortable for me. Like I'm very uncomfortable with the book. I'm, that's my worst crap in my life is in that book. So it's really hard for me, but I know that I had to hear other people's stories to help me be able to open up and talk. So that's what it took for me. And that's what it takes yeah. for, you know, a lot of people, they need to know it's safe. And they, oh, well, if they can do it, I can do it. You yeah. know, that kind and, of thing. And how do things stand now with your daughter? Great. Oh, it's great. I actually got mad at her and I really try to hold my temper these days, you know. <laughs> and um, she was yelling and you should have edited this book better and la, 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 la. And, um, and I didn't. That was my bad for not, you yeah. know, checking Every everything detail. because I was uh, kind of had my hole in the ground. I mean, my head in the ground. You know, I was I couldn't deal with all the emotions that it was bringing up for me, and I kind of just left it hanging. And poor Judy had to pick up the slack. Um, but I turned around to my daughter and I said, "It's my story, not yours, mine, and it's all true." 
so what is going on here, you know? And then she said, you're right. It is your story, Mom, you know? And then now she's really supportive, mm -hmm. super supportive of it. Yeah, and so it sounds like this book had an interesting editing process. Oh. I mean, I think whenever you're, when the primary material you're dealing with is memory, yes. right. how do you fact well, check she, that? Well, I had, mm. well, I did fact check some of it, um, but Sherry's writing was in the moment in prison. It wasn't like she was trying to gloss it over later. I had the original stuff that she was doing for a parole board. She was doing this, you know, for her life. So I knew that had a lot of weight. Of course, we all have our own, it's a Rashomon, we all have our own story, right? Everybody's got a different version. And in the book, as people will find, you know, Sherry, even to the end of this, was holding on to a couple of secrets that she let go of as we got close to the end. And it was a revelation for me. I thought I knew everything and I didn't. And we never know everything. Uh, we, never, we, we lie to ourselves. To make ourselves look better. I do it. You probably do it. Oh, yeah, all, all the day. time, every day. <laughs> so um, I, I think that was kind of the universal appeal of the book. Is you got your story? Guess what? It's not somebody else's story, and they don't see it the same way. It's important to know that. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Judy, did this book? You know, I mean, it's you, Sherry. You went through a lot of, you know digging deeper and deeper and, and being more honest and more honest and more honest. Did it, did this book, I mean, a lot of the themes in the book touch on experiences that you've had, even though it's not about your life. Did it really bring up anything for you? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> what I learned from this was um, an immense amount of humility um, because, you know, you're the reporter and you're in charge and you can handle this. And what I discovered was that, um, I really have to be empathic when I'm interviewing people. I have to understand that not everybody is interviewed the same way. I, I mean, I know this in my head, but when you're dealing with such a personal story and the person you're interviewing becomes a friend, and as Sherry was talking about, I, you know, I feel bad about this book. I started to cry just right here because you know, I want it to be a joyous thing, but it is hard. It is a hard slog. for. It was hard for her. And uh, I was not clued into that well enough. I, I didn't see it coming, and I should have. So um, I learned humility from this, a great deal of it. It should make me a better reporter. <laughs> and if you, if you, Sherry, had to, if humility is your word, Judy, what is the word that you're taking away from this experience? Hmm. I think it's acceptance. One word. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Hey, yeah. I got this day. My eyes, <laughs> my eyes open. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> because I didn't realize I had been holding on to uh, a lot of um, unforgiveness still. And I thought I had worked through all this. I thought I had this, you know, okay. I get, you know, I get wrapped up with my children and grandchildren in Colorado. I forget all about prison. I don't get, I really didn't get a hold of very many people, keep in touch. I just kind of pretended it never happened. I couldn't do that. That's not part of my uh, journey. That's not part of my recovery. I need to always stay in Honestly, touch with yeah. that um, truths, with those truths. And I uh, rejected that part of myself. And when we agreed to do the book, it brought it all back. And, uh, and I realized that I was still really, really uh, 
hating myself over it all. And I had to re-accept that it's all done. It's happened. It's over. And uh, today's a brand new day. This is the only moment that exists. Those are all just memories. And, um, and to accept that it happened, accept that part of myself that allowed those things to happen and um, integrate myself again, you know, so that I find that balance in myself. I lost that at the beginning of the book. I just went, kind of just flipped over the edge again and went into a real dark place for a while. Sherry also has a great sense of humor which I think really, it comes through in the book. Some of the things she'll say just out of the blue just make me crack up. And we included those in the dialogues between us. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things people I've talked to who know her love about her. I mean, just some of the, the things she comes out with, makes everybody laugh, re- reduces the tension. There are a lot of people out there who, who adore this woman. And for her, that's the acceptance she needs, is to see it, I think. Um, and you're getting it now. You're mm, hearing this it. This road trip really helped. Yeah. I have. I started it in Nevada, worked my way to Northern California, and then down the down the coast, visiting people that I was in prison with. First time. Yeah. Old lifers, other wow. lifers that had gotten out. That wow. we all did groups. To, you know, we spent years and years together. It, w- it has been amazing, an amazing journey. I, I just can't believe how close we were. Like time, it's like we had had no time pass between the time we saw it. It's been 10 years or more since I'd seen these girls. And it was like I'd seen them yesterday. It was yeah. just amazing. And it's filled my soul. And I think this just all reminds me that I, my journey's not over. You know, there's no end to it. And um, to continue going and that everything's happening for a reason I, that I don't understand. But I have to trust the universe. I think I, the fact that our paths collided and I'm not a woo-woo kind of person, but at all. <laughs> But I, you know, my mother would say, "There's a reason for this, honey." You know, <laughs> she was a woo-woo kind of person. But um, you know, there's a part of me that goes, "Yeah," you know, retired journalist meets lifetime parolee, and they write a book together. That doesn't happen every day. Mm-mm. Yeah, kismet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad it did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the I'll say the title of the book again: "The Redheaded Cook of the Desert: Meth, Murder, and Motherhood." Uh, Judy Sherry. Thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you for a great interview. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Just based on that description alone, I know I will be buying this book. This sounds like this would make the greatest crime podcast there ever was. That is absolutely true. And what I really, really love about this that I feel like other like crime stories don't do is that it explores some concrete things, right? Like, okay, her her cooking meth, her time in jail. But it also includes things that you might not expect from a story like that, like a story of surrender, compassion, and discussions of mental health and recovery. And so I really think it's a great opportunity to see Sherry not just as, oh, this criminal, uh, someone we could throw away, but as someone who can really illustrate a story that touches all of us. One thing that also struck me was Judy's kind of back and forth with if this book was even journalism, because she really put herself in the story. She said she connected so much with Sherry over their shared um, recovery from alcoholism and just like their stories uh, aligned so well that she had never been so close to a source. And so she wasn't really sure if this counted as journalism in that sense. So I 
really interested to hear what you have to say about that. Is this journalism? Yeah, I think, you know, I disagree with some of the conventional tips in journalism, which is like, don't interview your friends, you know, because I think that once uh, you do interview someone and you know, you're learning more about them, you're naturally going to become closer to them and feel like, you know, you've really felt a connection. I feel like that's what really happened here. You, um, Judy interviewed Sherry and, you know, found that they had more connections that maybe she didn't expect. And I feel that, you know, this does break the conventional rules of journalism in the sense that, there, you know, there was self-inserts and whatnot. But I think, the heck with that. I think, you know, uh, maybe this is my brain still being fried by Professor Shear, but journalism uh, is... I think in the broadest sense, just like a search for the truth. And as long as there was a search for the truth in there, who cares if you put yourself into the story as long as it makes, you know, a good story. I can't help but agree. And I honestly think that her putting herself in the story and and connecting with Sherry in that way made for realer journalism because there is such a rawness. Like she even said, Sherry never tried to discount what she did. She took ownership of what she did. And I don't know if she would have done that and been so open about her story and her struggles if they didn't connect like that. And so, yeah, like same thing. I think the conventional journalism of like objectivity and and distance from a source is a myth, one, and doesn't make for better journalism. I mean, I've read stories where the journalist was quote unquote objective and wasn't connected to a source where I was like, okay, well, this is mouth, this is lip service. This is a fluff piece. And so I think just the end product, this great story, uh, this book that was going to attract a bunch of readers and just showcase all of these different themes that are so important is ultimately journalism. I think it it definitely accomplished what journalism seeks to do, regardless of the connection or not. That was so beautifully put. (laughs) That was so beautifully put. I'm going to save that and put it as my ringtone. Oh my gosh. Well, on that note, that's all for this week's episode. Tune in next Friday for more Match Volume and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Media. This show is a production of Annenberg Media and is produced by Shutong Zhang. See you next week.